Hello and welcome. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I will be reviewing the December market commentary provided by David M. Darst, Chief Investment Officer with Americana Partners. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. The first section I will be covering is called Where We Are. Please note that any charts or graphics referenced are available by request through our website. Let's begin. As so evocatively expressed by the Victorian-era novelist Charles Dickens, 1812 to 1870, of all the months of the year, there is not a month one half so welcome to the young, nor so full of happy associations as the year's final month. With its cold weather, late dawns, and early sunsets, for many of us, December represents a time for hearkening, gathering, celebrating, and reflecting. And romanticized images of snow-lined landscapes may particularly resonate as we prepare for 2021, leaving behind a year like no other in living memory. After November's positive 11% gain in the S&P 500, its third best month in the past 30 years, a positive 12% rise in both the NASDAQ Composite and the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the Dow Jones Best Performance Since January 1987, and a positive 18% increase in the Russell 2000 Index of Small and Mid-Capitalization Companies, its largest monthly gain ever. Equity prices registered all-time record highs on Tuesday, December 8th for the S&P 500, 3,722.48, its 31st record close of 2020, and on Wednesday, December 16th for the NASDAQ Composite, 12,658.19, its 52nd record close of 2020. Since then, stock prices have essentially followed a churning and consolidating path as fiscal stimulus talks have continued to progress, and Financial markets await the outcome of the January 5th special senatorial runoff elections in Georgia, which could potentially switch the balance of power in the U.S. Senate, as stated by the Wall Street Journal. Now let's discuss the national elections. After a trying several months marked by elevated tension and deep divisions, on Monday, December 14th, by a vote of 306 to 232, the Electoral College officially affirmed the election of Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. as the nation's 46th president. President-elect Biden received 81.2 million votes, carried 25 states in the District of Columbia, and won 509 counties compared to President Donald John Trump's receiving 74.2 million votes, winning 25 states and carrying 2,547 counties. It is worth keeping in mind that results from 28 counties have not yet been finalized, and more than half of the U.S. population lives in just 143 counties, as stated by the New York Times. More than 100 million voters, 66.4% of the eligible voting population, utilized mail-in ballots or early in-person voting in the 2020 election. As shown in the map provided in the original commentary, if did not vote had been a candidate in each state in the 2020 presidential election, such a candidate would have garnered 278 electoral votes, far surpassing the total collected by candidate Biden, 162 electoral votes, or by candidate Trump, 98 electoral votes. With all states having certified their results on Monday, December 14th, and appointed electors to cast their votes for president, the next stage is the Wednesday, January 6th, 2021, 
joint session of Congress at which electoral votes are officially counted, followed by the presidential inauguration at 12 noon Eastern Time on January 20th. Now let's discuss a significant rise in COVID-19 cases. For a good part of the month, investors have been anticipating that Congress would pass the fresh fiscal stimulus spending bill, which it did on December 20th, to support businesses and households, especially in light of the recent meaningful expansion in weekly unemployment claims and stricter lockdowns associated with second waves of the coronavirus, the latter producing spikes in infection and death rates. With U.S. mortalities exceeding well over 310,000 deaths, a toll larger than any other country, and a fast-spreading variant of the coronavirus-prompted strict lockdowns in the London area as it raised new global concerns over the transmissibility and severity of such mutations. It took the U.S. roughly 16 weeks to rise from 100,000 deaths in mid-May to 200,000 fatalities on September 21st, and just 10 weeks thereafter to surpass 300,000 deaths. On days when more than 3,000 Americans succumbed to the coronavirus, some perspective on the magnitude of such one-day losses comes from being mindful of the fact that according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 1,800 people on average die from heart disease each day and 1,640 from cancer. A daily 3,000 coronavirus death total exceeds the number of Americans who were killed in the September 11, 2001 terror attacks or in the December 7, 1941 attack on Pearl Harbor. The charts provided in the original commentary show the progression of daily confirmed coronavirus cases and the daily seven-day moving average of COVID-19 deaths. On December 11, the National Restaurant Association reported that 110,000 restaurants have permanently closed their doors in 2020, citing new federal epidemiology guidance, an increased rate of virus transmission, the New York City's population density and great strains on hospital capacity, effective December 14th. The New York State Governor Andrew M. Cuomo reimposed the ban on indoor dining in New York City restaurants, with damaging effects on establishment owners and their employees. According to New York State contact tracing data, restaurants and bars have accounted for 1.4% of the virus spread in the state, while household gatherings represent the origin of 74% of COVID-19 infections. Now let's discuss vaccines rollout. Following earlier clearance by the United Kingdom, Bahrain, Canada, Saudi Arabia, and Mexico, messenger ribonucleic acid mRNA vaccines developed by Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech, were authorized for emergency use by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration on Friday, December 11th, and similar vaccines developed by Moderna were authorized on Friday, December 18th. Set forth in the original commentary is an illustration of the vaccine process for the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 BNT162B2 vaccine. Day 1, first dose. Day 12, start to build immunity. Day 21, second dose. Day 28, full immunity. Representing the largest U.S. vaccination program ever conducted and the most urgent mass immunization campaign since polio shots were rolled out in the 1950s, inoculations began in the following intended sequence. 1. First priority recipients, 21 million healthcare personnel, and 3 million long-term care facility residents, in December 2020. Two, second priority recipients, 
87 million essential non-healthcare workers, of which 30 million in January 2021 and 57 million in February, March 2021, and three. Third priority recipients, 100 million adults with high-risk medical conditions, plus 53 million adults age 65-plus years in the months beyond March 2021. In Europe, the Amsterdam-based EMA European Medicines Agency on December 21st approved the vaccine by BioNTech and Pfizer. In mid-year 2020, the U.S. government signed agreements with Moderna and with Pfizer to acquire 200 million doses in the first quarter of 2021, and then in mid-December, the government announced the purchase of another 100 million doses from Moderna for 2021's second quarter, increasing the number of Americans who could be vaccinated to 150 million because both vaccines require two doses. Both vaccines will be administered free of charge to the recipient. If the vaccines can be demonstrated to not only protect individuals from the coronavirus, but also reduce transmission, the end of the pandemic could be accelerated, providing a sufficient proportion of the population gets vaccinated. The federal government intends to issue personal record cards to remind vaccination recipients of their medical provider, vaccine manufacturer, batch number, and date of inoculation. As of mid-December, federal health agencies have not issued guidance on third-party digital credentials, leaving it open for companies and nonprofits to introduce COVID-19 health pass apps. Several major airlines have announced plans to introduce a health passport app that aims to verify virus test results and vaccinations. By giving consumers peace of mind and by prompting more employers and college campuses to reopen, the advent of electronic vaccination credentials could have a profound effect on efforts to control the coronavirus and more quickly restore the economy. As of mid-December, Projections of the respective contributions of the 10 most likely vaccine treatments to be administered globally are provided in the chart in the original commentary. Dr. Anthony Fauci and other infectious disease specialists have indicated that until 75% of the population is vaccinated, individuals should continue to wear masks and maintain social distancing, even if they have received the shots. Financial markets are anticipating that wide distribution of the vaccines should lead to a decreased likelihood of lockdowns and a more constructive outlook for companies whose operations have been disrupted by the pandemic, thus imparting a higher degree of certainty around corporate earnings estimates for 2021 and 2022. Now let's discuss Federal Reserve guidance on monetary policy. Following the last meeting in 2020, the Federal Open Market Committee, FOMC, on December 16th, Federal Reserve officials delivered new, more constructive economic projections and provided updated guidance on its quantitative easing, QE, program by 1. Affirming at least $120 billion of ongoing monthly purchases in Treasury and agency mortgage-backed securities and 2. Clarifying plans for continued monetary support until such time as substantial forward progress has been made towards achieving broad employment and inflation goals, implying that the Fed's QE purchases may likely extend until mid-2022 or possibly thereafter. A substantial majority of FOMC committee members continues to project near-zero monetary policy interest rates through at least the end of 2023. Additional fiscal stimulus. Following several months of stalemate over such issues, among others, as a sweeping coronavirus liability shield, the form and amounts of aid to state and local governments, 
and the duration of the Federal Reserve's lending facilities. On December 20th, by a vote of 359 to 53 in the House of Representatives and 92 to 6 in the Senate, Congress passed a $900 billion stimulus measure to deliver emergency aid to individuals and companies harmed by the toll of the worsening pandemic. Included in the legislation are a new round of $600 stimulus checks to millions of Americans, food assistance, and rental aid, additional unemployment benefits, support to small businesses, schools, and hospitals, and funds for vaccine distribution. The pandemic relief agreement is expected to offset several signs of slowing momentum in the U.S. economy, including rising jobless claims, a reduced pace of new hiring, and November's weaker-than-expected retail sales data. Now let's discuss sector and style rotation. Market rotation describes time intervals sometimes lasting only a few days, and at other times persisting for years. When an asset class, equity, or fixed income market sector, geographic region, or investment style that has previously been outperforming or underperforming begins to underperform or outperform due to altered assumptions, shifting investor interests, and changed capital flows. Within equities, financial market participants may consider the rotation between growth versus value stocks, defensive versus cyclical sectors, large capitalization versus small mid-capitalization companies, and domestic versus international issues. It appears that investor focus and investment flows may be in the process of continuing a shift from 1. The mega-cap super technology companies, 2. Defensive, stay-at-home industry groups, and 3. Growth sectors that have been able to prosper during the coronavirus pandemic. 2. 1. Small, mid-cap companies. 2. Cyclical and -and out-and-about industry groups. And 3. Value sectors, such as energy and financials, that can thrive in an improving economic environment that affords opportunity to benefit from increased operating leverage. We view this as a positive development and supportive of our council in recent months to incrementally broaden portfolio exposure to beneficiaries of a reopening economy, energy, financials, and other value sectors, cyclical, out-and-about groups, and small mid-cap companies. For example, after the Russell 2000 index of small and mid-cap companies had underperformed the S&P 500 for three consecutive years, in 2017, positive 13.1% versus positive 19.2%. In 2018, negative 12.1% versus negative 6.2%, and in 2019, positive 23.7% versus positive 28.9%, reflecting a more sanguine 2021 outlook for the economy. The Russell 2000 has begun in recent weeks to outperform the S&P 500 and, on a year-to-date basis through December 18th, was up positive 18.1% versus positive 14.8% for the S&P 500, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. Within the S&P 500, the concentration of stock market capitalization and price outperformance among the top five companies, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Google, Amazon and Facebook has, since September, begun to erode compared to the remaining 495 companies in the index, as shown in the chart provided in the original commentary. Now let's discuss inflation expectations. 
The outlook for inflation represents a critically important issue for asset prices, not only for bonds, but equally importantly for equities carrying historically high price earnings ratios, justified by ultra low interest rates in a low inflation environment. As shown in the chart provided in the original commentary, the median FOMC forecast calls for personal consumption expenditures, PCE inflation, to remain muted, with gradually rising core prices, excluding food and energy, through 2023. By contrast, expectations of future consumer price inflation have been rising ever since the nadir of the pandemic-induced economic retrenchment of this past March. As shown in the U.S. 10-year break-even rate chart provided in the original commentary, representing the difference between the yields on a conventional U.S. Treasury 10-year bond and a 10-year inflation-linked U.S. Treasury bond. Even as financial market participants remain complacent to some degree about the inflation outlook, we recommend paying close attention to the inflation picture, particularly with respect to labor prices. Likely to be upwardly influenced by a weaker U.S. dollar, higher food and commodity prices, and reshoring of American companies' global supply chains, should inflation rates begin to show signs of a meaningful sustainable rise, more defensive portfolio positioning may be warranted for inequities and fixed income securities. Now let's discuss the course of the U.S. dollar. The weights of each currency in the 1973 inaugurated DXY dollar index are Euro, 57.6%, Japanese Yen, 13.6%, British Pound, 11.9%, Canadian Dollar, 9.1%, Swedish Krona, 4.2%, and Swiss Franc, 3.6%. As shown in the chart provided in the original commentary from its March 20th peak level of 10282 during the height of the pandemic crisis, when the U.S. dollar was sought globally by investors as a risk-off safe haven, the six-currency DXY dollar index had fallen negative 12.7% to 89.805 on December 17th, a highly significant and potentially disruptive decline. Several reasons have been adduced for the dollar's sharp decline in 2020, among them, one, a healthy unwinding of the dollar's overvalued safe haven status, now that the worst uncertainty over the pandemic appears to have diminished, two, the extraordinary degree of monetary easing, ultra-low interest rates, balance sheet expansion, and money printing by the U.S. Federal Reserve, three, the massive U.S. federal budget and current account deficits, which need to be financed by cheapening the dollar and importing capital, and worryingly, four, a persistent vitiation in perceptions of the economic, political, financial, technological, and geopolitical leadership status of the United States. The benefits of a cheaper dollar include, one, an increase in export competitiveness, two, a boost to stubbornly low inflation due to the higher effective dollar prices of imported goods and services, three, a higher value of foreign earnings when U.S. corporations translate their foreign earnings into dollars for accounting purposes. Perhaps out of an excess of caution, we advise careful monitoring of the dollar's value as we confess to profound concern over the speed and magnitude of the greenbacks fall this year. Further, large-scale declines in the American currency 
whether or not such ructions might force the Fed to raise interest rates to defend the currency could spark significant global financial market turmoil and turbulence. Now let's discuss European monetary stimulus and Brexit terms. On December 10th, in addition to a series of ramped-up actions to boost liquidity for the banking system, the European Central Bank responded to the severe economic impact on the economy of the pandemic and containment measures through expanding its quantitative easing bond buying program by $500 billion to $1.85 trillion, the equivalent of $607.1 billion to $2.246 trillion, and extended the duration of the program to last at least through the end of March 2022. Another reason for the European Central Bank's expanded stimulus program is the increased possibility that the United Kingdom and the European Union could fail to strike a deal on a new economic relationship heading into 2021. Britain departed from the European Union on January 31, 2020, yet has continued to follow the trading bloc customs union and single market rules and regulations during a transition period that lasts until the end of this year. A no-deal departure is expected to immediately trigger tariffs and other economic barriers that could harm the economic interests of both sides. Now let's discuss foreign portfolio flows into China. With China's 2020 GDP growth picking up and domestic consumption rising again, year-to-date through mid-December, foreign investors have made net purchases of $150 billion of Chinese stocks and bonds. The benchmark China Securities Index 300 has gained positive 28% year-to-date through December 14th in dollar terms, versus positive 12.9% for the S&P 500. And on the same basis, the tech-focused Shenzhen Chinext Index has risen positive 59% versus positive 38.6% for the Nasdaq Composite Index. While the People's Bank of China left its benchmark interest rates virtually unchanged in 2020, foreign investors during the past year have been making their first standalone allocations to Chinese fixed-income securities. As of mid-December, 10-year renminbi-denominated Chinese government bonds were yielding 3.32%, compared to 0.94% for 10-year U.S. Treasury securities, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. The following sections review the principal, constructive, and worrisome factors and developments affecting asset prices. Now let's discuss constructive factors and developments. Continuing strong support of U.S. financial asset prices is being sustained by several positive developments, two in particular monetary stimulus, and the advent of vaccines. Monetary stimulus. First is the continuing Federal Reserve's monetary policy stimulus. As previously mentioned, following the Federal Reserve's two-day meeting on December 15th through the 16th, Fed Chair Jerome Powell indicated that policymakers would continue to maintain their significant monetary stimulus by anchoring policy interest rates at 0% to 0.25% through the end of 2021 and possibly thereafter, and by continuing their quantitative easing program of monthly purchases of $80 billion in U.S. Treasury securities and $40 billion in mortgage-backed securities. The advent of vaccines. Second, Also, as noted earlier, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, has authorized for emergency use two-dose messenger ribonucleic acid mRNA vaccines developed by Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech, on Friday, December 11th, and by Moderna on Friday, December 18th. This two-dose regimen, 
means that protection is achieved 28 days after the initiation of the vaccine. From the more than 200 COVID-19 vaccines in development around the world, according to the World Health Organization, close to a dozen have started the final stage of testing, among others, Phase 3 clinical trials and their associated mechanisms are being conducted by Johnson & Johnson, Adenovirus Vector, AstraZeneca and the University of Oxford, Adenovirus Vector, and Novavax, Nanoparticle. Other positive factors potentially buttressing financial asset prices include 1. Housing market strength. Amid record low mortgage interest rates, as shown in the chart in the original commentary, 30-year fixed-rate Freddie Mac mortgage interest rates have declined from 4.9% in January 2019 to 2.71% in mid-December 2020. With considerable suburban home sales strength, the median U.S. existing home price reached 313000 in October, positive 16% year-over-year, sustained construction, pricing, and high new home sales volume have led total October housing inventory to decline versus the prior month and one year earlier to 1.42 million units, 2.5 month supply, a historic low at the October sales pace, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. Two, leading economic indicators. Propelled higher by increased manufacturing orders and rising stock prices, the November leading economic indicators exhibited a slightly better-than-expected reading, positive 0.6% as compared to positive 0.8% in October and positive 0.7% in September, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 3. Manufacturing Sector Expansion for the seventh month in a row, the ISM Purchasing Managers Index for Manufacturing remained in expansion mode, reaching 57.5 in November. A reading above 50 indicates expansion and below 50 indicates contraction, versus a two-year high of 59.3 in October and 55.4 in September, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 4. Services Sector Expansion Despite registering the slowest increase in the services sector in six months, the ISM Non-Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index remained well in expansion mode, registering 55.9 in November versus 56.6 in October and 57.8 in September, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 5. Durable Goods Orders Representing a sixth consecutive monthly gain, new orders for U.S. manufactured durable goods increased positive 1.3% in October, compared to positive 1.9% in September and positive 0.4% in August, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 6. Projected GDP growth in fourth quarter 2020. As of December 17th, the Atlanta Federal Reserve's GDP Now forecast predicted a robust positive 11.1% growth in annualized fourth quarter 2020 GDP, building upon the sharp growth rebound of positive 33.1% in annualized third quarter 2020 GDP, the second quarter 2020 GDP contraction at a negative 31.4% annualized rate and the first quarter 2020 GDP negative 5% annualized decline. 7. Projected GDP Growth in 2021 In their December 16th economic outlook, the median projection of Federal Reserve governors and regional bank presidents for the U.S. GDP growth in all of 2020 improved to negative 2.4%, up 
from earlier projections of negative 3.7% in September and negative 6.5% in June. In the same forecast, the Fed also predicted that the unemployment rate will fall to 5% in 2021 versus 6.7% currently, while increasing its median estimate for 2021 U.S. GDP growth to positive 4.2%, up from positive 4% in its September outlook. 8. Household Sector Liquidity According to London-based Longview Economics, households around the world currently hold considerable levels of excess savings, amounting to 7.5 to 10% of gross domestic product, sufficient to catalyze high levels of pent-up spending and potential economic stimulus. 9. Small Business Optimism Despite uncertainties relating to the COVID-19 crisis and possible tax and regulatory policy outcomes associated with the Georgia runoff election, the National Federation of Independent Business Optimism Index registered 101.4 in November versus 104.0 in October and above the long-term average of 98.4, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 10. Estimates of S&P 500 Earnings Growth Significant improvements have taken place in securities analysts' S&P 500 earnings revisions breadth, with analysts' bottom-up consensus estimates as of December 18th according to FactSet, calling for S&P 500 year-over-year earnings decline negative 9.7% in fourth quarter 2020, followed by projected year-over-year earnings growth of positive 15.6% in first quarter 2021 and positive 45% in second quarter 2021. Based on corporate CEOs and CFOs' revenue and profit guidance comments on their third quarter 2020 earnings calls, which took place in October and November, analysts have forecast an S&P 500 earnings decline of negative 13.6%. For calendar year 2020 as a whole, followed by earnings growth of positive 22.1% for calendar year 2021 as a whole. 11. Energy price firmness. Somewhat improved global and domestic supply, modest increases. Demand, with buoyant demand from China after the world's largest commodity consumer has managed to largely contain the pandemic, and inventory conditions have imparted a firmer tone to West Texas intermediate oil prices at $49.07 per barrel, positive 17.56% in the four weeks ending December 18th, and negative 19.81% year-to-date, and, though slightly interrupted by episodes of warmer weather in intervals of November and December, to natural gas prices at 2.7090 per million British thermal units, positive 4.51% in the four weeks ending December 18th, and positive 26.1% year-to-date, as stated in the Wall Street Journal, and 12. China's Economic Trajectory Even as China's credit markets have witnessed a rise in defaults and the government has been seeking to control borrowing in the property sector to subdue sharp house price increases, the world's second-largest economy has returned to growth. In November, industrial production increased positive 7.0% year-over-year, retail sales rose positive 5.0% year-over-year, and exports rose positive 21.1% year-over-year in dollar terms, with fixed asset investment up positive 2.6% year-to-date and the November unemployment rate 
edging down to 5.2%, the same level as December 2019, prompting economic consultancy Oxford Economics to upgrade its forecast for China's 2020 GDP growth to positive 2.1%, with expected GDP growth of positive 8.1% in 2021, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. Now let's discuss worrisome factors and developments. Continued Pandemic Severity As had been forecast and as described previously, record increases have occurred in COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, deaths, and new lockdowns across many areas of the country and abroad. The surge in new COVID-19 infections in the United Kingdom and across Europe has prompted a second wave of lockdowns that may push the continent's economy into a second contraction within a 12-month time frame. Other worrisome factors potentially affecting financial asset prices include 1. Slowing employment gains, a pronounced deceleration in non-farm jobs growth, positive 245,000 for November versus positive 610,000 in October and positive 711,000 in September, even with a decline in November's overall unemployment rate to 6.7%, down from 6.9% in October, 7.9% in September, and 14.7% in April, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 2. Elevated applications for unemployment relief. Signs that the third wave of the pandemic is causing businesses to lay off employees and consumers to cut back spending have led to underlying labor market softness, evidenced by the large number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits, 885,000 in the week ending December 12th, the highest number since early September, 853,000 in the week ending December 5th, 712,000 in the week ending November 28th, and 778,000 in the week ending November 21st. New filings reached a peak near 7 million at the end of March, and they were as low as 200,000 before the coronavirus pandemic began to take hold this spring, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 3. Income and Consumption Slowdown Slumping rates of growth in personal income, negative 0.7% month-over-month in October versus positive 0.9% in September. Personal consumption, positive 0.5% month-over-month in October versus positive 1.4% in September. And retail sales, negative 1.1% month-over-month in November compared to positive 0.3% in October, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 4. Decelerating Industrial Output Slower readings for industrial production, positive 0.4% in November, after positive 1.0% in October. The Philadelphia Federal Reserve, Philly Fed, Manufacturing Activity Index, 11.1 in December, lower than 26.3 in November, 32.30 in October, and 15.0 in September. And the New York Federal Reserve Empire State Manufacturing Survey, 4.90 in December, lower than 6.30 in November, 10.50 in October, and 17.0 in September, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 5. Persistent Joblessness A total of 10.7 million individuals remain unemployed in November, compared to 23.0 million unemployed persons in April 2020 and 6.5 million unemployed in January, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 6. Extended valuations. By several metrics, S&P 500 valuations are extended, and annualized real total returns for the S&P 500 
Over the subsequent decade are associated with overly high beginning valuation levels. As of December 21st, the S&P 500 forward price earnings ratio was 24.2 times, 46.7% above its 25-year average of 16.5 times. The total value of U.S. equities has risen from 60% of GDP in 1990 to 120% in 1996 and 173% in November 2020, which equals $36.5 trillion for the Wilshire total market capitalization divided by a 21.2 trillion U.S. GDP, a ratio even surpassing the 139% ratio experienced by Japan at the very height of its 1980s super bubble. And as of December 18th, the S&P 500 Schiller Price Earnings Ratio, also known as the Cyclically Adjusted Price Earnings Ratio, or the CAPE ratio, defined as the market value divided by the 10-year average of inflation-adjusted earnings, was 33.77, 114% above its 140-year median of 15.81, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 7. High Degree of Investor Optimism Evidence continues of spreading investor bullishness and broadening exuberance, including as of mid-December record low portfolio manager cash ratios at 2%, as stated by the Wall Street Journal. As shown in the chart provided in the original commentary, the Citigroup Euphoria Panic Index is above 1.61, four times the average normal level of 0.40. Parabolic price increases of several popular cryptocurrencies technology startup companies raising money at exalted valuations, sometimes swiftly, followed by back-to-back rounds of funding at even higher valuations, record high totals of call options buying, high levels of zero-commission trading in fractional shares and speculative stocks with low share prices, a year-over-year doubling in the percentage of total trading volume to 25%, accounted for by individual investors as stated in the Wall Street Journal with Goldman Sachs estimating that there are several hundred large private companies still on the sidelines, including more than 70 that are valued at more than $5 billion each. Story-driven initial public offering activity is currently elevated for companies in cloud computing, electric vehicle, battery, e-commerce, and other sectors. Through December 12th, companies had raised a record $149 billion through initial public offerings in the United States, and as of December 16th, a total of 19 IPO companies had at least doubled in price on their first day of trading, the most since the highly ebullient dot-com era of 1999, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. Proliferating popular usage of app-based trading platforms frequently offering a gamified approach to complex investing and trading schemes with high-risk financial products inadequately supported by risk control supervision, technological infrastructure, and fiduciary standard practices. The rapid embrace of special-purpose acquisition companies, essentially blank-check acquisition vehicles, often funded before the ultimate use of the offering proceeds is known. According to Refinitiv, through the end of November, these so-called SPACs had raised $74 billion, representing just over 50% of the total year-to-date 2020 IPO volume, accounted for more than the aggregate SPAC capital raised over the last 10 years. And, as shown in the charts provided in the original commentary, 
Record low yield levels on U.S. high-yield bonds, with even C rated issues considered to represent extremely high risk, trading at multi-year lows. 8. Excessive Equity Market Concentration As of mid-December, a very concentrated 22.1% of the S&P 500's total market capitalization was represented by the top five stocks, Apple 6.7%, Microsoft 5.4%, Amazon 4.5%, Alphabet 3.4% for both share classes combined and Facebook 2.1%, compared to 17.8% for Microsoft, Cisco, General Electric, Intel, and ExxonMobil. At the speculative peak of the dot-com bubble in late 1999-early 2000, according to earnings and market capitalization data collected by NASDAQ, the New York Stock Exchange, and the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, the aggregate market capitalization of Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet Google, Facebook, Alibaba, Uber, Tesla, and Tencent Holdings amounted to $9.349 trillion supported by trailing 12-month earnings of $204 billion for a very elevated average 12-month price-earnings ratio of 46. 9. Upwardly trending yields, intermediate and long-term U.S. Treasury interest rates appear to be edging out of their narrow trading range and, with occasional pauses in consolidations, have appeared to be trending upward, with 10-year yields rising 32 basis points. 0.32% from 0.66% on September 1st to 0.94% on December 17th, and 30-year yields increasing 30 basis points, 0.30% from 1.38% to 1.68% over the same time interval. 10. Growing Anti-Tech Sentiment Risks have been growing to the commerce, electronics, social networking, search, and online advertising business models and corporate shape of some of the highest-valued, high-profile technology companies as they potentially, in the U.S. and in the European Union, face investigations, litigation, legislative measures, monetary penalties, aggressive antitrust enforcement, mandated divestitures, and or changes in corporate structure, intercorporate defamation, and various forms of fierce bipartisan political backlash, such as moves to limit Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which currently shields digital platforms from liability for their users' online activities. In some cases, companies have been charged by some combination of the Federal Trade Commission, the U.S. Department of Justice, and state attorneys general, of one or more of the following practices, anti-competitive behavior, abuse of monopolistic power, manipulation of digital markets, overcharging, inappropriate licensing, politically biased censorship, and improper collection, use, targeting, disclosure, and sharing of users' personal information. 11. Serious intrusion of U.S. cyberspace on Sunday, December 13th. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, a division of the Department of Homeland Security, issued an emergency warning after learning that software that may have been used by more than 425 of the Fortune 500 companies and most federal government unclassified networks, including the U.S. military and the Pentagon, had been hijacked by a nation-state to gain entry to secure IT systems. 
Although there has been no evidence of malfeasance thus far, the extent and depth of the hacking raises concerns that the intruders could ultimately use their access to disable compromised American systems, corrupt or destroy data, or take command of computer codes that runs industrial processes. And 11. Deteriorating U.S.-China Relations With the U.S. Commerce Department's December 14th announcement blacklisting more than 60 Chinese companies to protect U.S. national security, a significantly heightened degree of uncertainty marks the evolution of the U.S.-China relationship, carrying potentially serious ramifications for the activity, trading and supply relationships, revenues, and earnings of companies operating within or across each of the other's borders. Now let's discuss portfolio positioning. 1. Strategies and Tactics In the current post-election environment and throughout its expected evolution, in the early years of the new presidential term, we maintain that careful thought, planning, and attention needs to be devoted to the investor's most appropriate forms and vehicles for implementing the fundamental elements of asset allocation and investment strategy. 1. Diversification, which means having sustainably low and negatively correlated investment exposures that truly counterbalance price movements in other assets, particularly during times of great financial stress and or market volatility. 2. Rebalancing, which encompasses using concepts of reversion to the mean to trim exposures to assets that have grown to represent too large a portion of the overall portfolio, while at the same time, adding exposure to high-quality assets that have fallen out of investor favor and suffered significant, though likely not permanent, price declines. 3. Risk Management which involves recognizing when markets become consumed by momentum plays and information overload, and understanding the degree of liquidity, the true pricing realism, and the various roles of short-term liquid securities, real assets, financial assets, and alternative assets in decade-long or longer regimes of inflation, stagflation, deflation, monetary disruptions, and currency resets. 4. Reinvestment, which encompasses knowing when to emphasize and trade off income versus capital growth, all the while keeping in mind the critical importance of discipline, patience, and longevity in capturing and compounding dividend, coupon, and other income flows, and 5. Asset protection and husbandry, which address considerations of taxation at the state, local, federal, and possibly international level, estate planning, relevant insurance design and structuring, cybersecurity shielding, portfolio monitoring and reporting, administrative costs, forms and means of access and custody. 2. Intermediate-term themes to consider. We continue to counsel a considered and considerable exposure to equities, with judicious shifts between styles, sectors, geographies, and, where appropriate from a cost, timing, liquidity, and size standpoint, public versus private markets. Expressed below are a number of themes that we believe should be taken into consideration over the next few years in selecting asset categories, asset classes, sectors, companies, and security types. 1. Paying attention to the value of money. Taking advantage of, rather than being taken advantage of by, the likelihood of money printing, internal and external currency debasement, government debt monetization, and modern monetary theory likely to continue being pursued by the authorities within shifting money and credit cycles to service America's massive explicit government and corporate indebtedness and the enormous implicit obligations of pension and healthcare promises. Two, 
concentrating on all weather sectors and companies, seeking investments with balance and flexibility that are able to thrive regardless of a divided or a unified Congress, evolving social priorities and values, wealth distribution initiatives, public health conditions, and political trends. Three, distinguishing between temporary and permanent change, focusing on the commercial and financial implications of new power structures, alliances, and geopolitical relationships, new energy sources and resources, new trade patterns, new on- and offshoring channels, and new business models, pathways, digitalizations, and forms of person-to-person and business-to-business work, leisure, learning, and wellness. Four, taking advantage of demographic tailwinds. Through U.S. and select non-U.S. companies, gaining exposure to and meeting the rising needs, aspirations, and spending power of the rapidly expanding global middle class, especially in Asia. Five, verifying past success, emphasizing companies and sectors that have demonstrated successful track records and past experience in capital allocation, balance sheet strength, risk management, sustainably defendable business models, and the ability to generate and sustain high multi-year returns on equity derived from revenue growth and favorable margin preservation, rather than through excessive leverage, meaningfully above the company's and sector's weighted average cost of capital, and six, identifying innovative technology hegemons. Focusing on technology enablers, disruptors, and dominators in biotechnology, public health, artificial intelligence, data analytics, machine learning, 5G cellular network technology, the Internet of Things, robotics, quantum computing, battery inventions, alternative energy, electric vehicles, and cybersecurity, while paying heed to the environmental, social, and governance ESG characteristics of companies in these fields. Three, keeping things in perspective. Many of the overarching themes and conditions that influence our intermediate and long-term asset allocation and investment strategy emphasize the need to recognize that the concepts and implementation methods intended to achieve safety, balance, diversification, and liquidity are likely to face evolving social priorities, geopolitical power relationships, price level changes, demographic trends, indebtedness levels, technological pervasiveness, and not least, the definition, role, degree of physicality, embodiment, and value of money itself. Four, flexibility versus conviction in formulating investment thinking. In seeking to determine when to adhere to and when to lean against prevailing consensus views, sometimes pejoratively referred to as groupthink, it is important to critically question the soundness and durability of the reasoning and assumptions underlying a given investment framework and positioning at any point in time. While it may not make sense to hold out of consensus views just for the sake of doing so, often expressed as don't fight the tape, at other times, especially at major cyclical or secular turning points, at a major asset top, when reality is finally found to fall short of overly optimistic expectations, or a major asset bottom, when reality is shown to exceed overly pessimistic expectations. The rewards of implementing a contrarian stance can be extremely meaningful. Some observations on the current environment and conditions expected in the period ahead are set forth in the sections that follow. 5. Enhancing and Preserving 
While we do feel some growing degree of unease over the increasing spread of exuberance and the growing popularity of stocks and sectors considered to benefit from economic recovery as vaccines proceed to tame the pandemic. Our short-term inclination at this point in time is to take note of the Federal Reserve's ongoing support of financial asset prices while taking advantage of such strength to continue upgrading portfolio holdings, offloading lower-quality, higher-risk assets, and, with timing and price discipline, adding to, attractively priced, higher-quality assets on equity market pullbacks. 6. Equity Emphasis and De-Emphasis particularly in the current conditions of very low U.S. Treasury interest rates and given the likely focus areas of post-election government spending initiatives, to us it appears likely that cash-generating, financially stable companies with robust growth prospects, which are able to operate and thrive in the digital sphere as they continue to enhance their business models, deserve to retain a valuation premium. Within equities, one, We recommend continuing to gradually shift some emphasis from growth sectors, companies, and managers towards the incremental inclusion of select value sectors, companies, and managers. Two, we continue to counsel modestly adding small and mid-cap companies or investment managers specializing in and with good track records in this space to our primary emphasis on large capitalization enterprises. And three, for the time being, While we continue to prefer a tactical overweighting to U.S. domestic equities, we also espouse building some higher allocations to our underweight positions in international stocks, such as Japan and emerging market equities. 7. Focus on strength and quality. Our long-term equity portfolio weightings continue to emphasize asset managers, sectors, and specific companies that can benefit from the major sustained trends of the 2020 decade, including 1. Incremental growth in a wide range of economic circumstances. 2. A focus on economic repair, digitalization, e-commerce, personal wellness, safety, domesticity, home improvement, infrastructure spending, and, where possible, the release of pent-up consumer demand. And 3. Advantageous capture of benefits from onshoring, supply chain redesign, and deglobalization as important drivers of capital spending and disruptive innovation. At the company level in equities, We reiterate our emphasis on identifying and building long-term exposure to firms possessing fortress-like cash-rich balance sheets, limited debt, positive free cash flow generation, dividend strength, and competitive business models that over a long time frame can generate high returns on equity through revenue growth and enduring profit margins rather than through excessive levels of leverage. Eight. Balancing growth and value sectors. On a year-to-date basis through Friday, December 18th, the iShares Russell 1000 growth ETF symbol IWF and including companies and sectors such as technology, healthcare, and communication services had, according to the Wall Street Journal, returned positive 35.7%, up 7.9 percentage points over the prior five weeks while the iShares Russell 1000 Value ETF symbol IWD and including companies in sectors such as financial, real estate, energy, utility, and industrial companies had, according to the Wall Street Journal, returned negative 1.0%, up 6.3 percentage points over the prior five weeks. This 36.7 percentage point growth minus value returns differential has increased slightly by 1.6 percentage points from among the already historically widest such divergences in close to five decades. 
as cited in our November monthly commentary, and to us appears to argue for continuing the process of prudent reallocation from selected growth sectors, companies, and managers into selected value sectors, companies, and managers. As this process continues, it is worth keeping in mind that true value investing represents identifying assets that are trading for less than they are actually worth, not assets that are merely inexpensive. Many superficially inexpensive assets are inexpensive for reason and could very well remain so or deteriorate further. 9. Fixed Income Securities Bond prices remain at positively Himalayan price levels, with ultra-low yields across the maturity spectrum having risen only modestly from their March lows, with an astounding record total of $18 trillion in global negative-yielding sovereign and some corporate debt outstanding, as shown in the chart provided in the original commentary. We affirm our predilection for issuers at the high-quality end of the rating spectrum in both investment-grade and in high-yield bonds, in taxable and tax-exempt bonds, where we continue to see some areas of value on a taxable-equivalent basis. We see fixed-income securities price risk due to our expectation of further increases in yield levels as 2021 progresses, and thus we prefer maturities and durations along the short to intermediate portion of the yield curve spectrum. 10. U.S. Dollar Outlook After declining negative 7.4% in 2017, appreciating positive 4.3% in 2018, and marginally slipping negative 0.2% in 2019, the DXY U.S. dollar index measured versus a basket of six major currencies, the euro, Japanese yen, Swedish krona, British pound, Canadian dollar, and Swiss franc, had, as of the market close on December 18th, declined negative 5% year-to-date. Following the U.S. dollar's strength in first quarter 2020 as a safe haven flight-to-quality asset during the pandemic and lockdown-induced global financial market turbulence earlier this year, the DXY index had gained fully positive 6.7% year-to-date as of March 20th. We believe the U.S. dollar may continue on its gradual path of weakness as due primarily to the Federal Reserve's stated preference for lower yields in the United States for the next 12 months or longer. The U.S. dollar's income-generating advantage is likely for the time being to remain narrow or non-existent versus other major currencies. 11. Alternative Investments and Real Assets In alternative investments, we continue our multi-quarter focus that has for some time emphasized exposure to gold and or gold mining ETFs shares, particularly the miners with reserves in stable geographic locations, capital discipline, and cash flow growth, high-quality master limited partnerships with strong business models, and sustainable dividend-paying capacity, select investments in private credit and private real estate, and opportunistic strategies that are positioned to selectively derive meaningful value from the dislocations created by the coronavirus pandemic and the initially strong and now oscillating recovery therefrom. This concludes our December Market Commentary by David M. Darst. David is Americana Partners Chief Investment Officer. We are available to answer questions you may have regarding the topics discussed. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. Thank you for listening. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Stay invested.